Hey folks, this is Delphina and Varathane here with some cool news. The Spider Forest Webcomic Collective will be open to applications for new members from June 6th to June 30th. Spider Forest is a volunteer-run collective of indie webcomic creators with a focus on collaboration and supporting each other and the rest of the webcomic community. Our members run lots of fun activities like life drawing streams, art exchanges, and our comic anthologies. Spider Forest also offers hosting to its members. Find out more at spiderforest.com slash apply. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. Welcome to The Screen Tones, where we talk anything and everything webcomics. Today, we're going to be diving back into the subject of world building, but not just any world building. We're specifically going to be talking about the wonderful intersection between magic and technology, often simply known as Magitech. I'm Delphina. I use she, her pronouns, and I make the comic Sambulus. I'm Ray. I use they, them pronouns, and I make the comic On Empyrean High and Overlord of Ravenfell. I'm Renny. I use she, they pronouns, and I make the webcomic Kate Blast. And I'm Varathane. I use the pronouns she, they, and I make the webcomics Chiralt and Witchwood. Fantastic. Okay. So if you've ever played, like, any JRPG or anything from Square in from the late 90s and on, you're probably already familiar with Magitech, even if this is your first time hearing the term. Does this fictional world have airships, which are powered by mystic crystals linked to the deities that founded all of reality a millennia ago? Or maybe people can wear steampunk-looking bracelets that let them throw fire or move things with their mind. That's Magitech, baby. Sometimes technology and magic don't have to be opposing forces in storytelling. Except, of course, for the times when they are. But anyway, we're going to talk about all of that. So my first question, what kinds of inspirations have you drawn from for this facet of your world building? I'm going to throw it to Ray. Okay, I will admit that I am heavily influenced by JRPGs, like Final Fantasy, Legend of the Dragoon, Breath of Fire and stuff. And a lot of those do have like some sort of mixing of magic and technology. Another influence, particularly on Empyrean High, would probably be Escaflone, because like Escaflone, the dragons tend to be resources to mine. The main difference is my dragons are intelligent, where it seems like the ones in Escaflone are not necessarily. So it's one of those things where I do take influence from a lot of sources, but, you know, sometimes it's just cool airships flying around is very inspiring. I'm inspired by cool airships. And, like, oh, yeah. I'm absolutely with you on, like, the JRPG, like, origin story. <laughs> like, there's just so much cool stuff that, that they were able to do. And, like, Escaflone, too, that's interesting because they, they had, like, Mecha, and that's that's almost like a, another type of like I don't oh know. yeah and magic knight ray earth which the mecha are machines but they're also magical and it's like a lot of the previous novels i read they were opposing forces so you couldn't really have one or the other together so a lot of the japanese stories that i read was like the first time where they actually intertwined yeah absolutely it really opened up a lot of possibilities what about you, Renny? Yeah, so I grew up being a sucker for basically anything sci-fi. I am one of the people that has read all 24 Dune novels front to back. Some of them I've read multiple times. I've watched all of Star Trek, TNG, most of the rest of it too. So I am a certified sci-fi tech geek. So I've drawn a lot of my storytelling influence and world building from those stories. But I've also integrated with another facet of my life. So my day job when I'm not making comics is I'm an engineer. Specifically, I'm a civil engineer with a 
background in mostly civil environmental, a small brief dabbling in chemical engineering, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> but a lot of that side of my life came from, I love to tinker with things. I love to take things apart and figure out, okay, what makes this tick? What makes this work? I do a lot of my own repairs on my motorcycle because I just love to tinker. But where those realities can intertwine is I like just making stuff and being like, okay, if I have this piece of technology in this world, how does it work? And just diving in for like thought experiments with a lot of technology. And I've had some story ideas come from that, where it's just the playing in the sandbox that is mixing things together that shouldn't necessarily be mixed together. And it's a really fun space to play around in. <laughs> And then mixing the third bit in the cocktail of that makes my webcomic is I grew up with Magical Girls and that was my anime junk food from like start to finish. So getting all those in the same drink. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Just what you're saying about sandboxes because sci-fi is so full of like really good sandboxes to play in and just pulling in. It's a big universe. Yeah, just being able to say okay well maybe it's not on earth but somewhere out there this is possible let's think about that i love it i love it so much like what if frogs figured out how to make spaceships how would that work <laughs> like i think that's cool it's cool to think about <laughs> yes i want to see the space frogs now oh, man thing do you have any space frogs or something else i feel like doctor who probably has space frogs or something yeah. like that There's yeah that sounds like a doctor there. who thing Okay, okay. When it comes to my inspirations, I also have to shout out Final Fantasy here because I feel like they kind of have the most incredible aesthetic when it comes to Magitech. Every design in like all of those games, when they have some funky airship or like weapon system, weird vehicle, you can always just kind of look at it and be like, yeah, that looks magic, but also technical. <laughs> it's really impressive. I think something else that I kind of so was super inspired by was Jack and Daxter because in the first game, which is a very like it feels very fantastical and like natural, like you're kind of in this world where it's mostly like forests and beaches and stuff like that. And there's no big cities or anything like that. And the main character is kind of raised in this like very pastoral place. But there are these power sources, this energy called eco that he can use in different ways. And as the player, you can run around and like you find blue eco and you can use it to like speed up and move faster and jump higher. Or yellow eco lets you like shoot like kind of fireballs from your fists and it's like it's very fun and it feels very fantasy and then in the second game in the series there's a time skip and now you're in an urban environment and the same energy is still present it's like it's a part of the planet itself that this whole like game has kind of evolved on and in the intervening years people have figured out ways to like kind of harness it and use it in a technological way. So like the blue eco is kind of an electricity stand in. So it powers lights and like makes platforms move around and stuff because it's a platformer game. But the the idea of it was still pretty neat or like yellow eco makes better bullets. Basically, it was kind of the first time I had seen something that meshed the two so deliberately. It's definitely not kind of the only thing. But for me, I hit it early on enough that I guess it made an impression in how I approach world building. Another fun one that does it in a very different way that I don't see very often is a novel series called The Edge Chronicles. And in those books, the magic is not really like a mystical energy source of any kind. It's more just the nature of how things are. Like physics are just weird in this world. And some natural objects have fantastical properties. Like there are rocks that grow in gardens. And when they get cold, they float. And when they get hot, they sink. And people harness those, like if you put one of these rocks in a cage and you build a, like a tall ship around it, you can fly it through the sky, <laughs> which obviously is cool. Who wouldn't want to do that? But then you have like this whole system of technology based around this wild thing. Like you have to have somebody to cool down or heat up the rock to make the ship go up or down and like systems of weights to make sure it's going in the right direction in the sky. Yeah, it's just... It's a lot of fun. There's some cool stuff out there. Yeah, Magic Rocks. That blows my mind because it's a really prime example of like 
if this exists in nature, how are humans going to use it? Like, what is human innovation going to bring to it? And I think that's that's kind of the core of Magitech as a mood. Yeah, for sure. I think that's kind of one of my favorite things about that series is that it doesn't really feel like there's magic here. Like, people can't cast spells like the ships aren't powered by like glowing crystals or something. It feels very physical, like this is a part of nature and people have just kind of figured out how to do that. Except, of course, it is fantasy. <laughs> it is a fantastical story. Okay, so I can't go out and find magic rocks right now that, that fly. Unfortunately, I'm so sorry. <sighs> okay. Oh, well. What a disappointment. Anyway. <laughs> be okay but yeah for me some of my inspirations you were talking about final fantasy oh my gosh yeah basically super nes era square games were what i was taking in as a teenager so much final fantasy 6 was very formulaic for me because it literally says magitech that's like the name of what they call it and the way that system works is that they have these espers they're kind of like god type creatures and stuff and so they're like pulling the energy from these into these shards that they can put into their mechas and their airships and stuff and some very sinister government forces are using that to try to take over the world and there's a lot of themes of what are we doing to these godlike things what are we doing to the the people who you know yeah they're powerful but they're also people and they have rights and so it's similar to the dragons that Ray was talking about. So these are people and these these are creatures and they have rights. I think also one of my other favorite things is Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger was a game that came out in the late 90s from Squaresoft. And that dealt with time travel and the intersection of time travel technology and ships and stuff. There was a civilization a long time ago that was magical and they were able to use that to perfect this this kind of time travel technology but what they did with the timeline was kind of awful and terrible and so you end up seeing the results of that you see where it began in like the prehistoric era they had this more natural connection to what they saw as magic how that civilization built up from that to something very technological and very cool floating airships and whatnot and then the results of that how it all crumbled it all went kind of back to to normal era stuff and then actually got even worse because it got taken advantage of and the future is like a wasteland and so you kind of have to deal with oh these are the consequences i feel like that concept of kind of the ancients is something that comes up a lot in those stories which deal with uh, major themes of technology as sort of an opposing force to magic or to the natural world there's very often sort of like a precursor society whose ruins are scattered around and maybe people have forgotten like what their whole deal was. But over the course of the story, sometimes the characters will discover this outright and it'll be a plot point like, oh no, that's what the ancients were trying to do and why their society crumbled. Sometimes they'll just kind of hint at it. Like you'll see their ruins like scattered around, but the story will never explicitly spell it out to you. A game that I played fairly recently, Tales of Vesperia, it also has a very explicit magitech worked into the story where there's these crystallizations of sort of the vitality of the world called air and people can insert that into technology that they have to do various things for themselves like power cars or generate water uh, even make plants grow faster but it turns out that it's like kind of destabilizing the energy of the planet itself and obviously that's kind of a bad thing so it becomes this kind of tension between humans who've come to depend on this technology and don't want to give it up and the fact that by using it they're actively harming the world around them and they definitely did that in the game where you start finding things like oh this happened in the past and it kind of gives the story a way to show an example of kind of what happened that you can point to and give the plot a little bit of guidance. Yeah, and all these examples are so fun with the level of detail and thought put into it to just make it so rich. But I think that the other way that a lot of this can go is because 
people oftentimes associate Magitek with the, you know, those fantasy-esque stories like the Final Fantasies. But you also see it a lot in other like more modern or sci-fi media, even one that I think uses it very well in a very like not taking itself too seriously kind of way is Tepentop and Gurren Lagan, where they are basically powering these mechas with spiral power. What is spiral power? It's loosely defined and the definition changes a lot, but it's basically something, something, fighting spirit, something, something, heart of the warrior, something, something. And they just go with that and turn that, okay, we're just going to take this one thing and turn it up to 11 and skip ahead to insert time here to avoid some Gurren Lagan spoilers. But at the beginning of the second season, it's revealed that there's this counterbalance from the ancients to follow up on that, where it's like, you know, the anti-spiral coming to sort of fight that magic that's sort of built into this the way that their technology works now it's never outwardly called magic but like there's no other way to explain it so i think that there's like a lot of ways you can approach it without it necessarily being specifically magic or like even like in that sphere of like sorcery or spell making it's just how does it interact with this piece of machinery from this weird concept. Yeah, I l- really like that you brought up that like there's a couple different tones you can take. You could just take some like kind of goofy t- term like spiral stuff. Like what does that mean? We don't know, but like it's Ron Lagan as- doesn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> but as long as the source material is fine with you having that ambiguity, then that's okay versus like kind of the other approach which is very methodical. You have to explain where this came from, what the history of it was and how this whole society like stepped from one thing to another to another to another to in a sensible way using that magic or whatever to build their technology so there's a lot of different ways you can approach it and I think that's super fun so with that I'm gonna go ahead and move on to the second question does your comic incorporate magitech or play with the intersection of magic and technology and society like we're talking about like you know maybe tell us how you're using it in your own work and what it brings to your theme um let's go back to Ray okay so on Empyrean High has airships as like probably the most prominent part of their technology and as I said they take something that's harvested from dragons living or dead that use it to power it's pretty much like the essence of their magic that they are taking to use for their airships now there are actually other countries that do not do that it goes more into like the kind of solar punk territory of oh hey algae can be used as like you know an energy source so let's extrapolate on that sort of thing but I probably won't get into that for a while because webcomic time. But pretty much the tech that they have is kind of, I mean, it's not like modern tech. It's probably more like Caribbean era ships and such. So they're not like completely futuristic with their technology, but it does interplay heavily with magic as it is. I love anything with airships. I'm such a sucker for airships. And like automatically that just gives you the question, what is it powered by? And I just think that's so cool that it's powered by dragons. It pulls in dragon energy and and we're not. And like, ah, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, Um, it's like, I love, I love just the idea of it's like, okay, so these humans can't, naturally use magic on their own but these creatures can so what do they do they harvest them (laughs) that's kind of what we did with the dinosaurs right fossil fuel exactly (laughs) we drive dinosaur powered vehicles so and they drive dragon powered vehicles so society oh my gosh i'm never going to be able to drive again without thinking this is powered by dinosaurs Poor Rexy. Oh, poor Rexy. Oh, what about you, Rani? What about yeah. your work? Tell us so, about it. I have two different kinds of magic, if you will, that sort of interact with the way that Cape Blast and that universe works. One is 
there's Magical Girls. It's a Magical Girl webcomic. So there's a drawing on a lot of tropes from, from that on sort of how their magic works. And for that side of things, it's very loosely defined for me as far as like, okay, it, this works because laser zap, uh, lightning zappy looks cool. Don't don't think about it too hard. But they all draw their power from the same source, this star power, which interacts with the way that actual physics work in the Cape Blast universe. It changes how the cat aliens fly their ships. It imbues sort of the technology into these crystals that sort of keep the ships going and allow them to warp faster than light. So it sort of interacts with the way that sort of a lot of that works in a not necessarily directly the pilots of the ship are controlling the magic because they're not they are just harnessing the ambient ways that magic works in the universe and when i started applying a lot of the ways the rules for how space travel works a lot of it was mostly you know for the theme of i wanted to have the two plants earth and yadaki which is where the cats are from I wanted them to sort of reflect off each other. So I wanted a lot of the way that the tech worked to be grounded in stuff that we see on Earth, something that's familiar. Because a lot of the story is talking about sort of how all the characters are kind of similar and just reflections of each other in different ways. Yeah, well, magical girls, like, in and of themselves are just so interesting because they're almost always this kind of juxtaposition between I'm a normal girl and in normal society, there's, you know, I'm not in some sort of fantasy society with wizards and stuff where this is normal. I'm just, I'm, I'm a normal average girl, but somehow I have magic and I have to reconcile that with my surroundings. Yeah. One of the characters in my comic, uh, Ozma, is an engineer. She's a scientist and is very much the, she believes there's werewolves because she can see the seat cam as a werewolf. You know, this is, you know, okay this is there but she doesn't initially believe kate when kate says yeah i'm a magical girl ozma's very flippant about yeah sure you don't have to lie to me like i know magic isn't real because it doesn't the science doesn't check out and then ozma all of a sudden oops magical girl and now ozma has to reconcile this like how does this work with my the way that i i viewed things like the the magic going against her scientific views it's very very fun to play in that space so what about you, Thane? What is your story like? What kinds of themes do you incorporate? Tell us about it. Well, I have tackled this particular question twice because I've got two comics. Geralt was like very firmly a fantasy comic. It looks like a fantasy. It walks and talks like a fantasy. In that story, magic is kind of the classic depiction of it. It's like an energy force that is kind of everywhere in the world around And the characters can, well, trained characters, uh, people who are mages or whatever, can make use of it to create like spells, which can take the form of like, I'm going to shoot some energy blasts and whatnot. But it can also be channeled and harnessed into technology by usually the method is to write on some symbols and kind of draw on the right kind of patterns. And that can create kind of an anchor that will allow the piece of tech to kind of keep running itself without needing a mage to kind of be hovering over it the whole time. And through this, people have developed cars and like boats and airships and like long distance communication through radios. There's a mirror based long distance communication method that some of the characters use where they can talk from like all the way on opposite sides of the country. And the whole time, like it feels like that kind of, I don't know, pre-technological level. Like I don't want to call it pseudo medieval exactly, but a lot of other parts of the world building in some ways can kind of feel like that. But then at the same time, they do actually have some pretty reasonably advanced tech. And it's kind of a lot of fun to play with. When I started on Witchwood, I spent a lot of time thinking about the magic system in that story. And it's almost kind of a like a flip on that, because what is called magic inside of Witchwood is explicitly a technology. It kind of works like nanoparticles. And it's controlled through commands that are similar, like explicitly similar to computer code. And 
So the part that was the most fun about this, other than just the idea of air itself being a 3D printer that could make stuff for you and move things with your mind, the part that was like a ton of fun to kind of think about is how the creators of this technology, they're an alien civilization known as the Zypher who kind of invaded and brought this tech with them. But just thinking about how they would have constructed it because it was deliberately built. It's not just something that accidentally sprang into being out of nature. People had a hand in deciding how it was going to operate. And so all the rules about it that now might look like arcane, like magical circles or whatever, like people had to kind of design those and decide what they did and what the limitations were. And within the world of the story, this has existed for like, you know, uncounted centuries or even millennia and people have had all kinds of chances to be like okay we need to nerf this somehow like it's too powerful we need to build in some safeguards and like make these things not possible anymore and then maybe a hundred years go by and somebody else is like screw that i'm gonna make it super strong and broken again and so you might have these overlapping layers of weird rules and redundancies and like strange chaotic arcane convolutions and that part like is just I'm so excited to get that to get more of that into the comic because that is kind of the part that I'm always the most excited about is like this technology exists and like what do people do with it and how have they changed the shape of what it is in accordance with their you know their their goals and their priorities like the things that they think are important because their technology will reflect that yeah one of the things that i really notice about both charalt and witchwood is like magical education like how the information gets passed from the people who understand magic or are good at magic onto like mundane people and that's where the technology comes in yeah, the flow of information is something else that definitely plays into that because like people will hide things or like share things kind of as also in accordance with their values and it can make for interesting stories. Yes, yes, good. I love those stories. For me, for for Sonbulus, I think the primary thing kind of happens that because there are two factions that each have their own deity associated with them who are patrons of these factions and kind of shepherding them into progress. So in Sambulus, I have a god who is in charge of lucidity. And for them, technology is sort of like the safer option versus a little more wilder magic, which is liminality. And so that kind of conflict, that clash between, like you said, just having a a rule system that everyone has to follow very strictly and the people who do not want to follow this rule system very strictly and have gone off and created their own place where everything is a lot more they can they can go hog wild with with power levels despite the consequences that's kind of what Sambulus is built on so yeah, just I have a lot of fun with talking about, you know, what weird stuff is happening from people who use magic in an uncontrolled way. How are people controlling it? And one of my favorite things, this is like a, a quote about sci-fi, but it was, you know, a good sci-fi story doesn't predict the car. It predicts the traffic jam. And I love thinking about all the little things that, like, you use magic for in a mundane way and how people are always just going to be people with it. No matter what kind of fantastical technologies or magic they have, there's always going to be this element of human nature. And that's going to twist what you use magic for and why you use magic and technology. And I just... I don't know. Um, you see it a lot in, in Terry Pratchett, too. There's a lot of humor that can come from that. And I also think about, like, anything Miyazaki, where there's there's kind of this conflicting force of here's the forces of nature and here's the forces t of technology. And I've kind of reversed that and said, you know, the technological ones are kind of being the responsible ones. And, and like, the magic people are just like, wee, I want to make shiny things happen. I always think it's so fun when you have like the same sort of magic that's in the universe and you have like two very different groups taking different approaches on the same thing. 
it it gives a ton of room to sort of play in that space and it's like going back to the sandbox where it's like okay how would they interact with each other how would these groups think about each other even though they're kind of using this you know looking at two sides of the same coin it's fascinating and you definitely do a fun job at that yeah thank you it's it's really interesting to me seeing like how how much of a problem it is how much of a problem it becomes when generation after generation people are like well this is how we do things this is how our society works what are you doing why are you trying to stop me and yeah just i have all kinds of fun with that i think i think that's that's kind of the key you gotta have fun with it right you gotta find what you're passionate about and and like find the issues and stuff and kind of i feel like technology and magic just sort of highlights what are already there for right human struggles that exist in our world too um so with that i'm gonna move on to our third question so what advice would you give to creators who are just starting out they want to make use of these world building tools or they're struggling to implement a magic system or technology system that work together what is your advice for them i'm gonna push it to ray well, my advice would probably be, well, first off, have fun with it. Second off, I would probably say it's always good to consider the source of the powers, whether it's like gods or themselves or everything around them. Like the Dark Crystal really went into like everything having magic, but Gelflings especially having magic, for instance. But also the limitations and the consequences if there are any of magic or technology is always something that is good to consider absolutely and i just i keep going back to the rocks the like the heated rocks and like the cooling down rocks just like magic can be anywhere you can like pull in magic from literally rocks and it'll work. I mean, the amount of crystal-based Magitech in all Final Fantasies is... Uh, <laughs> you've got that. It seeps into everywhere. Uh, they use crystals so much. Like, I think Final Fantasy fourteen in particular, all the crystals are essentially crystallized memories that you can use magic crystals are so perfect because you can say that they're made out of anything and you can use them kind of however you want and they'll look super cool every single time you can't go wrong rule of cool they're just they are they're like there's something about crystals that we as a human society looked at and they're like these are shiny and pretty and they have to be magical Absolutely. They gotta. I'm also being called out because I, I also have crystals. <laughs> no, we embrace the crystals in this we house. We love crystals. Cringe is dead. Crystals <laughs> are forever. Crystals are forever. That's a good piece of advice. Do you have any other pearls of wisdom, Renny? Yeah. <laughs> so I am never going to tell anyone that they can't just do rule of cool on all their you know magic or science because I think you can definitely go into some wild places if you just if you hand wave a couple things. For me personally, I always tend to gravitate towards the stories that have that little bit of like, okay, this I could actually see being possible with a couple, you know, obvious key changes. And I think a lot of this comes into like the difference between, you know, hard sci-fi and soft, where it's, you know, hard sci-fi is like it has to be grounded in reality, but there's one big lie. That sort of sells the deal. And then soft sci-fi is, you know, where I kind of like to live because it's, you know, there's a, usually a basis of reality there, but then extrapolated to an extreme where it's like, we're just going to be here and have fun. So I like sort of the, the middle ground between there. But I think one way that you can sort of incorporate a lot of that into your work and make it seem grounded and relatable is to find something that you can sort of base your technology or magic around that is something familiar something that like we have on earth or something that like is a concept that we've come up with i know in cape blast a lot of the concepts in the later part of the story are very much derived from black holes and stars and astrophysics and science but so i went in and watched 
a lot of videos on, okay, how does space-time work? Space-time dilation. Try and study at least sort of the, the Cliff Notes version because I'm, I'm not an astro-scientist. I don't understand how it works totally. But I like going in with at least a little bit of info. And then I can take those bits of reality on how we sort of understand how things work. And then I can be like, okay, but I'm going to change this one thing. And it's going to be tied to this magic that I have in the universe. And then we're just going to go full steam ahead and see where it goes. Another example of this that I love is there is this concept art that went viral on Twitter a number of years ago, I think at this point. It's Ambrosia by Airy Pan, where it's this thought experiment on what if there was this magic world where all the magic and technology came from this honey-like substance uh, called Ambrosia. And they went totally to town with sort of okay what would the furniture look like how would lamps work how would people sort of harness this for various activities you know from like fighting to just mundane day-to-day things or how would it affect the architecture so it's always fun to sort of grab something that like feels like you could understand it because like it's okay this i could see this this looks like something i know i know what honeycombs look like but honeycombs being used as a weapon for slinging magic. That's cool. And you can sort of see how everything ties together. So that's sort of my biggest piece of advice for people is find something to sort of ground your work with something familiar to the reader. I think that's a, that's a really good point for like kind of a starting point, because that'll help a lot when it comes time to the exposition part of the world building, when you have to explain all this stuff to your reader, like, if it's an extremely long and technical explanation, like people might a not fully understand it, b like forget it very quickly, and then they might not be able to kind of make those extra connections, trying to kind of leap ahead and understand the implications of a new plot point. Uh, so some things that are related to the magic system uh, or the magitech system might not fully like you'll you'll drop something and be like, this is a big huge deal, and I hope readers catch it but they don't catch it because they didn't fully yeah, grasp or s- the core principles. <laughs> or see, they'll just, just check out and feel like, uh, this is way over my head. Like, I'm not going to drop like a 10 page, like here's a 10 page explanation on how space time and uh, general relativity works. Uh, I'm not going to do that because that'll bore the readers to tears. A couple readers will eat that up, but the rest will just check out and be like, all right, I'll come back in two months. Jeez. <laughs> um, so you have to sort of like make it accessible to people. And like you have all that like deep lore and info dump for the people who absolutely will eat that up. But when you're presenting it, like for actually going through the story, present it in a way so that people can go in and with very little uh, explanation, be able to relate to it. Yeah, for me, it's about like seeding your rules. If you have all these rules and you know where the magic comes from and you don't necessarily want to explain like the entire science behind midi-chlorians because you think that would be a stupid idea and who would do that, then like just kind of put here like, you know, just little examples of how it works. Here's, Here's a little tiny insignificant way and just pepper those throughout your story so that people can start putting the pieces together and when you have that dramatic reveal it doesn't come out of nowhere you're not thinking well what where where was this all that time like i i don't understand where this technology even came from and if they had it all this this time why didn't they use it it's, you know the the classic well why didn't the eagles fly them to mordor stuff why they why did frodo have to walk like it's it's just thinking about the technology and what it means at every step of the way and making sure that makes sense i feel like is super important this is why magic crystals are so good because you can just show them and people will get that's a magic crystal that powers things and you can show the crystal breaking and people know that the crystal is broken. Or you can say we're running out of crystals because we've mined them all or something. And people will just get that. It's so simple. Why didn't I make it crystals? It all comes back to, and this is something that I see in the tech industry, is the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. Keep it crystal, stupid. 
Cuban <laughs> crystal. That's the new. That's the new, the new rule. Kicks. Oh, well, that was crystal queer to me. <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel bad. I don't have crystal. Thane, do you have crystals? I don't have crystals. Oh, um, do my... you have a dice? <laughs> a little, a, a little, a couple little bits and pieces. So what I kind of try to do, I mean, I guess the first piece of advice is just to like watch and read a lot of things, in particular things like documentaries or like things kind of about pieces of the real world and just like look at real technology and how people interact with that and like the societal implications of a new development or how how it happened in the past like how people reacted when it was invented how people started taking it for granted how it's like you know there's this whole journey that things can go through and some of it can lead to some really cool like just ideas like you'll you'll be reading something you'll be like what if that happened but in in my fantasy world there's also uh if you look at like nature documentaries you can get some really cool little pieces of inspiration from that like i i love (laughs) i went through a huge spree of watching like everything that david attenborough has ever narrated which was a lot of like you know the, the planet earth documentaries and there were a couple about like there was one called life in the undergrowth that was all about like bugs and fungus and stuff like that and just the way insects live out their life cycle is so wild that I was like you know I wonder if I could do something with this and I kind of started playing with it and I ended up taking little bits and pieces of it and putting it in to the Azypher Society which was it, it, it's been a lot of fun and I mean it, uh, it just came from like the real world <laughs> like so that that's kind of one thing another is just like as a thought experiment like when you're coming up with like your your cool crystal powered airships like just kind of try to think of some fun ways that people would make use of them. Like imagine that you are a member of this society and these ships are available. Like what kind of viewpoints would people develop? Like maybe some people just love these crystal ships and other people don't or like stuff like that. You can uh, you can get all kinds of possibilities and try to think through like two or three steps of like consequences for these things and write things down. You don't have to put all of it in the comic, but just have it at the back of your mind. Okay, so so what I'm hearing is that rocks are weird, crystal ships are weird, bugs are super weird, and and they they're all magical. That sums it up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah, I think it's it's so interesting to me to when you talk about like the steps of consequences and and that's what where my kind of chrono trigger background comes in. They also did it in like the Mistborn trilogy. And then, like, they had this trilogy of, of stories where they had this magic system based on, like, different metals. There were eight different metals, something like that. And, like, if you ate the metal, you could push or pull it or something like that. And there were there were certain people that were attuned to certain sorts of metal. So you could push things, you could pull things. Sometimes they would enhance your senses. And, like, every metal had a different effect. And so they told this entire story about this one society that that really went through an adventure a a political uprising related around this magic system but then what they did they did a time skip and they started writing more stories like where this all stuff like this magical stuff is in the distant past and now we're into like steampunk era now we have a little bit more technology and we still have the magic and we've integrated the magic into our technology it's it powers our trains it powers our airships it powers everything we do and it's just being able to compare and contrast like what happened and what happens in the future is like so powerful because it can really bring out sides of it that you didn't think of. I love seeing magic on how it's extrapolated to the point where it's like, okay, how does this affect mundane person? How does this affect like the person working at the bread store down the road? Like, yeah, it affects the the heroes and the warriors or the people in power, but how does it affect just the, the everyman? And I think that's where you can really get into some really good world building that will sort of shape the way your world works in a more rich and meaningful way. Yeah, I think one of the things about that, too, is how does it affect daily life, especially if it's something that's very common? Because one of the things that I see a lot is 
especially in like the action fantasy and sci-fi and stuff is they'll have the technology or the magic but they will literally only use it for battle but how how would that affect like how people live or the consequences of doing that how will it like just affect life like one of my favorite like little pet ideas i've been playing around with is people's wands or like focuses and shit being replaced by cell phones how would that affect people would they have like stupid little magical games to play on there and stuff like that so it's just really think of how people would use it for entertainment for daily life chores and other things and it can really feel like a lived-in world absolutely i love like just all the stupid things like how do you clean your house with magic how do you or like magic tech even just like there's this technology and at some point in history it's not going to be limited to the upper class and and like battles and stuff it's going to trickle down to other people and it's going to affect their lives and and how people do things i think one of the the things about, that bother me about like shira and the princess's power when i'm thinking about it is just this this really big separation between the, we have this technology we have this like spacefaring technology it's somehow like linked to magic nobody knows how it works nobody uses it except the princesses like it's it's just so far out of of the realm of anything and in the end I don't think they really had time to explain why it made sense so I feel like putting that effort into explaining and making it feel lived in exactly what Ray said just make it feel like a natural part of society instead of just the thing that you reveal as a plot device or whatever I think that's a super good point. And like, it's, it's very easy to get swept up in the idea of like your, your magic system or your magitech as like being used for the big, cool, flashy action sequences. And it's easy to kind of lose sight of the fact that like your audience is like normal humans who also spend most of their time probably doing mundane things. And there's a huge appeal to seeing characters in stories like just knowing that they also kind of face some of those same little mundane challenges of like having to wash their clothes from time to time or clean their room or whatever and seeing how characters in these fantastical worlds use these <laughs> fantasy elements to like help them do that in like a fun and different way I feel like that that kind of helps make stories relatable for the audience too on on a level that it's easy to forget about if you get super swept up in like, I'm going to shoot the magic blast at the giant spaceship or something. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so easy to get lost in the sauce on that. But I did want to also point out to for folks that like, I know that world building itself can be a very intimidating topic for some people where they feel like they need to have every little bit figured out before they could even put pencils on paper and start drawing the dang thing. And especially when you're building your own world, like, you got to think about how the magic and the tech and everything influences politics, religion, culture, the science, you know, how they see each other. It, it can get overwhelming really quickly. So if that's something that kind of starts overwhelming you, I would say pick four or five things and just like not like topics, just things and figure out those four, like those core tenets of how this thing works in your universe and really flesh those four or five things out really well. And then everything else, if you have those core pillars of how the magic and the tech and the magic tech works in your universe, if you have those pillars, you can improv off of that. So long as you know, okay, I have the core rules on how this works. I can figure out how this would work and you can figure that out Maybe not necessarily on the fly, but like you can be like, oh, gee, in about a month, I have to figure out how this works. You look back at your rules sheet that you made for yourself and go, okay, these are the rules that I have to play with. Okay, now I'm going to play with this. So you don't necessarily have to do everything up front, but I do recommend really knowing how the core rules of it actually works before diving in. Yeah, the, the importance of improv, I think a lot of my world building was kind of it it was kind of come up with on the fly. And I know earlier I was all like, yes, think through like 10 steps ahead of everything. You don't have to do that before you start the comic. You you can actually do 
a lot more than you think you can after you started it. And actually, I kind of encourage that because as the plot of the story changes and as the the characters change over the course of writing it, you might discover, because webcomics take so long, that if you cemented a whole bunch of really tight magical rules, like before you started the comic, a year into it, you might find that they don't actually fit the plot anymore. And you shouldn't feel like you have to find a way to put all of that onto the page because it might be too much or it might just there might just not be an elegant way to do it because the story has kind of gotten away from that point. So ultimately, the lore that you put in should be complementary to the storyline itself. Yeah, I really do agree with that. I feel like you should have an internal logic to your story but you don't need to have every single thing figured out. Now, it does help, honestly, to question, like, well, if this is true for my world, what if this happened? And just continually asking yourself that throughout writing the story will help figure out a lot of this stuff on the, on the job, essentially. Keep it simple. And then you can make it more complicated. I thought we were keeping it crystal. We're keep we're keeping it crystal too. I think so too. Yeah. So I mean, basically, if you have your crystals in place, if you have like that one core thing that powers your your world and and whatever, that's gonna guide a lot of stuff. And I think one of the really interesting things about magic and technology and stuff is is that the sky's the limit you can really make something out of anything and whatever you do with that and whatever spin you put on that is going to make your story that much more unique and that much more interesting so with that i think we're gonna call it a chicken caesar salad wrap I have been your host, Delphina. You can find my work, Sombulus, at Sombulus.com. And I'm Ray, and you can find my work at EmpyreanComic.com, and you can find Ravenfell on Webtoon. And I'm Renny, and you can find my work at KateBlast.com. And I'm Varathane. You can find my work at Geralt.SevenSmith.net or at witchwoodcomic.com. Thanks, everybody. Now, I am going to tell you about Legend of Korra and how pro-bending never made sense. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Screen Tones. Subscribe to us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to be notified of new episodes. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Screen Tones Cast. 